Chapter Thirty Three of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Prade. Chapter Thirty Three. An interview with Sammy Deans. Valency did not attempt to follow his wife, but staggered out of the room and walked blindly down the garden path like a man in a dream. He passed through the little gate and gazed helplessly up and down the road, uncertain how to proceed. As the latch clicked behind him, a slouching figure emerged from the shadow of a tree, and a white, leering face, totally unfamiliar to him, confronted him in the dusky light. D blank, you cried Valency, what are you doing here? Why don't you get out of my way? Sammy Deans, for it was he, looked in no wise disconcerted by this rough address. Mr. Valency, he replied coolly, you look as though something had gone again the grain with you. I have been waiting here to have a word with you in private ever since I seed your good lady go in. I have got somewhat particular to tell you. Well, said Valency, his attention arrested by a certain sinister significance conveyed by Dean's look and manner. Tell me your business and be quick about it, for I am in a hurry. What is your name? I do not remember ever having seen you before. Happen my name will keep, said Sam imperturbably. It were not about myself that I had a mind to talk. You have come down all on a sudden from the north, sir. It ain't but a short time since they made you police magistrate at Gundaroo. Maybe you don't like the place, or happen you have got family business, or you've had letters that have called you down. Yes, said Valency, looking cautiously at the man. I have had letters that have obliged me to come to Leckart's town. Letters upon family business. Perhaps you can tell me who wrote them. That must be best known to yourself, sir, said Sam with equal caution. Come, said Valency, roughly. I can see by your face that you know more about these letters than you choose to say at present. They were written anonymously, but I have not the least doubt that you are perfectly aware of their authorship. Well, whoever my correspondent may be, I am at least indebted to him for correct information. What will loosen your tongue? You need not hesitate to acknowledge your work. I cannot indict you for libel, however much I might wish to do so. It's a queer thing, said Sam reflectively, but I've seen it afore now. No matter what a woman is, so long as a man has got her to wife, he is wild with rage if she throws him over. I should have thought it were a good riddance to bad rubbish, and somewhat of a satisfaction to have the world open again to choose from. Stop that, cried Valency, whose temper was not in a state to bear irritation. What the devil do I care what you think? I suppose you want to be paid for your information, and if so I had better tell you at once that I will not give you a farthing. "'Twere a friend of mine who wrote those letters,' answered Sam, taking no notice of Valancy's remark. "'He is a clever chap, and pretty smart at putting two and two together. "'There are many things kept dark that he knows. "'I dare say he could tell you now that there would be a change of ministry before long. "'You would be surprised to hear that it rests with him "'whether Longleat carries his loan bill and goes sailing off to England "'to be knighted by Her Majesty.' or is kicked out of the treasury for a scoundrel. No one would believe it if he was told, but it is true for all that. What? exclaimed Valancy, startled into interest. 
I am informed by everyone that Longleat has an overwhelming majority. That may be. He has strutted and ranted and bribed and made a shout of progress, honesty, impartiality, till he has got all Eckhart's land to believe in him as though he were God. But suppose that my friend had private information concerning the Premier's past life. That would damn this hero as a rascal, a thief, say, a murderer, an old hand. Where would his popularity be then? Gone like a whiff of smoke. That would depend upon whether your friend's information was reliable, and whether he could bring forward evidence to support it, said Valancy. Suppose it were newspaper evidence, whispered Sam. The report of a trial and conviction, eh? Suppose that, with a few inquiries, Thomas Longleat, Premier, could be identified with a man bearing another name, who was sent out to Western Australia twenty-two years ago? What should you think of that? A charge brought up in the house. Lord, what a stir it would make! If anyone had a grudge against him and wanted the opportunity for revenge, as my friend said to me, Oh, drop all that humbug about your friend, exclaimed Valancy. Look here, let us understand each other. Of course I know that you wrote those anonymous letters. You had better own up to it. I don't suppose that you sent them out of goodwill to me, unless, indeed as you say, you really did it for the sake of my family. If that is the case, my family never did me a better service, and my worst enemy could not have hit me a harder blow. Tell me your name, my good man. I don't want to be ungracious to you. Let me know who you are, and I may perhaps be able to understand you. Sammy Deans somewhat reluctantly owned to his personality. Are you not the man who was sentenced to four months' imprisonment for stealing Mr. Longleat's cattle? Sammy Deans acknowledged the indictment. Then I am beginning to see through you. Your hatred for Longleat is as deep as mine. You would do him an evil turn if you could. You would make a tool of me to work out some malicious scheme that you have plotted against him. Sir, said Deans, you have had a conversation with your wife. She has acknowledged that what I have told you is true. You speak very short. I have given you information about your wife's goings-on that should have been received gratefully. You are a gentleman. Your honor has been trampled upon. You have a better reason for wishing to crush Longleat than I have. You cannot slink away up north again. Folks would call you a coward. You cannot try horsewhipping, for you would get the worst of it. He is thick-skinned and powerful. Money is no odds to him, but reputation is everything. You can hurt him worse than death if you choose, or if you do not choose, I will hit him instead of you. It's my grudge against him but it ain't no concern of mine which of us punishes him, except that I am a dramatic sort of chap. I like a denouement, as the Morsous say. I could take my evidence straight to Middleton, who would not be scrupulous in using it and would pay me for it better than you will. I am surprised that you have not been to Middleton already, said Valancy suspiciously. I'm a dramatic chap, repeated Sam. As I said afore, Shakespeare, the immortal bard, and the footlights. All the world's a stage. Each man owes it to art, to play his part decently, as old Ferris would say. Melodrama, that is what they call it in fine language, 
the plot is thickening there's a villain in it and an artful woman and an injured husband the low chap he that is the instrument of the rest and finds the papers and plays second fiddle that's me i hain't been educated up to play the hero he ought to be a gentleman that is your part mr valancy you'll cut a better figure before the audience than sammy deans the jailbird that's all d blank humbug said valancy look here if you have got any evidence against the premier that is worth having i'll pay you for it do you understand we'll settle the price when i know what your information is you have got some reason for not going straight to middleton he knows you in the police court i'll be bound and you are afraid of being shown up let me see your papers and i'll name my figure not so fast mr valancy said sam my evidence is right enough and far too valuable to be let out of my hands easily and happen it were somewhat of that sort that kept me from going straight to middleton who has got a grudge against me on account of a little business up in the uby district he'd be friendly enough when he knowed what i had got to tell him i ain't afraid of being shown up but i have my own reasons for keeping quiet just now at that moment a passer-by one of the treasury clerks on his way home brushed against mr valancy and his companion he eyed the police magistrate of gundaroo uncertain in the half-light as to his identity hello valancy he cried at last it is you i heard something about your leave upon my word you were lucky to get it so soon but i suppose the government is on its p's and q's just now and then we all know what a friend your wife is of the premier's you have come to take mrs valancy up north i suppose no growled valancy don't you insult me by talking about my wife and the premier i am not going to take her to gundaroo we are best apart i'm sorry i can't talk to you just now i have some business to attend to i'll come and see you to-morrow or the next day good night the gentleman looked a little mystified for a moment then a flash of intelligence crossed his face and he passed on the first to spread abroad the news of mrs valancy's actual disgrace valancy turned to deans i cannot stand here with you in the road to discuss this matter isn't there any place you know where we could be quiet for an hour you need not look at my house i am not going there any more to-night and i don't care about being seen with you across the water is there any pot-house over here where there is a private room and where the people will not recognize me there's the banana said sam thoughtfully if you don't mind the tramp come sir it's south leckhart's town way the two men walked for a little distance up the dusty white hill then turned into a rugged road which wound round the edge of the cliff upon one side scattered villas alternated with paddocks overgrown by young gum-trees and prickly pear on the other the rocks sloped in natural terraces to the river a dark blue semicircular ribband while beyond lay the town with its twinkling lights coming out one by one as the darkness deepened they walked on for a mile or more till at the junction of the kuya coach road with that leading to emu point they came upon a rough bush-in standing apart upon an isolated green and surrounded by a deep veranda above which was a signboard illumined by a kerosene lantern representing in vivid colouring of green yellow and magenta a banana tree and fruit the bar occupied at present by a blackfellow and two bullock drivers 
was at one side of the building. At the other there was a little parlour quite deserted into which Sammy Deans conducted Mr. Valancy. It was evident that business was not brisk at the banana. "'This is where I hangs out,' said Sam, drawing a chair to the log fire which illuminated the dingy place, and proceeding to fill a short black pipe. "'You'll have summat to drink, sir, won't you?' "'We shall come to better terms over a nobbler apiece, and they won't doctor the grog if you order it in a bottle.' Valency nodded, and a bottle of cognac was called for. Valency poured out a glass which he drank almost neat, while Sammy Deans mixed a milder decoction and settled himself comfortably at a corner of the fireplace with the air of a narrator. Valency took a cigar from a case in his pocket and began to smoke also, every now and then drinking another sip of brandy. The haggard lines of anxiety and wrath which had furrowed his face dispersed slowly under the influence of warmth and stimulant. As Sammy Deans proceeded with the story which in the madness of grief and rage Mr. Ferris had disclosed, his whole countenance became animated by curiosity and eagerness, and he forgot his wife's falsity and the faint stirrings of manly remorse which her reproaches had aroused in his breast in the exciting interest of the tale. End of chapter 33 Read by Celine Major.